AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Turkey Day is over, so let's turn our attention to another one of my favorites on the dinner table. (laughs) The dairy industry is in a unique position to have an influence on what is expected to be a fairly intense farm bill negotiation in 2023. We'll find out what one dairy cooperative has planned to influence the process. From the advent of the advent season via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning we begin with a conversation with Brody Staple and Mike L. Wedig from Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. Then it's Paul Kaufman from Merck Animal Health. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson and now the host of AgriTalk, Jeff Flory. You know, you're pretty quick to pass on from the majestic bird of Thanksgiving and, and on to the, uh, to the next holiday season with Christmas. I'm absolutely ready, and uh, wow! And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Oh, uh, and I know you're a you're a music fan, right? Absolutely, love music. Is there is there a particular Christmas song that you're uh, that you're looking forward to this holiday season? Well, your I've got a lot. Christmas song, yeah. I've got I've got a lot of emotional connection to Silent Night. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry, I do. Yeah. Yeah, it's a classic. It's an absolute oh, yeah. classic. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, One of the, can, can I give it to you real quick? Please do. Okay. Midnight service years ago. Yeah. Uh, my daughter, Emily. Oh, here and, we go. Oh, you're going to, you're killing yeah. me with the daughter stuff, dude. Yeah, you're going to make me all Emily emotional. And, and my mother, Marlene, uh-huh. uh, who are both big Christmas fans, yeah. were singing their hearts out to Silent Night. And it was one of those things where we were going to sing a couple of verses here and then sing a couple of verses there and, you know, kind of breaking the song up through the service. They wanted nothing to do with that. When everybody else was ready to let the preacher say a few words, they jumped right back in there with another chorus to Silent Night. Sit down, Reverend. We're not done. (laughs) We're not done. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Okay. What else you got? Well, as you know, I'm a I'm a music fan myself. I have an extensive yes. uh, record collection and and uh, lots of recordings. I I dug up a little known Christmas classic from uh, from an artist that I feel like didn't get enough play. It hasn't, and I'm hoping maybe to sort of encourage this artist throughout the rest of the Christmas season. It's a little early yet, but but I thought you know what? Why not? Um, Why not? It's a young it's a young man who calls himself Johnny Bitcoin. Johnny Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, well, let me, let me just play you, play you a track from one of his, uh, his Christmas favorites albums. Are you ready? You bet. Santaflation, please bring down my input's costs. Santaflation, before all of my profit is lost. Santaflation, cause mama needs a new pair of shoes. Johnny Bitcoin. Mama Johnny needs Bitcoin a new pair of sounds, shoes. Sounds very forlorn. I don't. He's a little, he, little forlorn. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's definitely sort of a blue country feel to a lot Absolutely. of what he's got on the album. 
Uh, and I may, I may play more from his yeah. uh, his holiday favorites as yeah. the season goes on. But uh, you know, I thought, you know what? Let's let's give the kid a chance. It's almost there. like like Johnny is is coming off of some sort of an artificial high from earlier in the year, and <laughs> as we get into the end of the year, just just can't really understand exactly what happened to him. Johnny Bitcoin's all about the artificial high, and that's where some of the sorrow comes from yeah. in his music. It's a it's wow. a gut wrenching album. I'm excited to share it with uh, with you and the rest of the listeners. So uh, should be great. Outstanding. Should be great. Yeah. Um, having having said that, yes. let's let's talk about uh, some market <laughs> stuff. You know, it's a market show. Whatever. Sure. Um, I want to know what's in your head as far as what traders might be watching in the markets. Through the end of the year, and I'm I'm going to throw you in the deep end of the pool. Talk to me about wheat. Okay. Okay. Um, the the number one thing that I think about when I think about wheat right now is the condition of the HRW crop. Uh, and the really the only reason that I'm thinking about that is because we lost some quality and some bushels out of Australia. Mm-hmm. We've lost some bushels out of um, Argentina. If if those two things hadn't already happened. I probably wouldn't be as cued in to the U.S. crop conditions as I am, but I am. Uh, we've got a crop that is exceptionally vulnerable to winter kill and damage and, and so on. So I'm going to be watching that. Export demand, got to watch that. There's some rumblings that maybe the U.S. has started to import a little bit of wheat out of out of Europe. So we're going to yep. watch that as as well. And then something that we talked about yesterday with Karen Braun, or on Wednesday with Karen Braun, uh, could we see some wheat make its way into feed rations in the U.S.? Uh, mm. Normally, I wouldn't say that about $8 wheat, but when you've got $9 cash corn, huh, maybe it could happen. Yeah. Um, speaking of corn, uh, mm-hmm. I, I imagine South America is going to loom large. Yeah. Yeah, the Argentine crop conditions, uh, we, we've lost some bushels off the wheat crop. Uh, the The corn crop planting is just terribly late. It's going to have an impact there. So Argentina crop conditions probably right at the top of the list of things that we need to pay attention to. But right behind that is the Brazilian crop conditions because China's appetite for Brazilian corn is going to be determined by just how big of a crop Brazil can produce. Um, on the domestic side of thing, I'm, I'm watching ethanol. Can ethanol consumption and, and ethanol production withstand a likely recession into the first part of the year. And don't forget, uh, next week, we should be getting the renewable volume obligation announcement for the RFS and just exactly what the RFS reset will look like into 2024. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, soybeans, a lot of China stuff, a uh, lot of stuff in yeah. soybeans. Oh, you got a Brazilian crop conditions are number one on the list. Mm. Uh, the the market has accepted the idea that we are going to see at least 150 million metric tons of soybean production in Brazil for the 2022-23 marketing year. That's a big crop. Anything short of that, anything short of that, I think starts to bring some some buying interest back into the soy complex, and it at least limits selling interest. Chinese demand with their COVID shutdowns, with their pork productions and the problems that they've had on trying to manage the supply side of that pork market, Mm -hmm. really difficult issues there. And then the energy markets. I I think if if the bean market 
uh, kind of disconnected from energies, I think through the end of the year, it reconnects with the energy markets. It seems like the cotton market has accepted recessionary concerns. Uh, definitely. It certainly has. When we're trading as low as we are, uh, the recession and the potential weight on apparel sales is clearly reflected in this cotton market right now. All right. We don't have much time. I know you love to talk okay. cattle. Go. Yeah. Uh, market ready cattle, uh, market ready numbers coming out of the feedlot, the placements of the lightweight animals, heifers in the feedlot. We got to watch that. And then demand. Can it withstand re uh, uh, recession? And it's kind of the same list for hogs. No question right. about it. You know, yeah. just what are the what, what are the numbers of market ready animals going to be? And then one other thing on the hogs that I think we really need to watch this this winter is the disease pressure in the farrowing houses. It's it's been terrible the past couple of years. Uh, I want to pay really close attention to it and and see just exactly what that might mean for us uh, uh, going into the into the new year. Okay, all right, Davis. Dude. Hey, great job. We'll talk with you again really soon. Can't wait. Uh, let's get to that dairy conversation. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Our name says it all. Agritalk. What more do you need to know? Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. Glad that you are with us on this Friday after Thanksgiving. It's a dairy day here on AgriTalk, and right now we are talking with Brody Staple. He is with the Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. Brody, welcome to AgriTalk. Hey, thanks, Chip, for having us. All right. Before we talk about the Edge uh, Cooperative, uh, tell me about your operation there in Wisconsin. Yeah, so we milk over in eastern Wisconsin, right along Lake Michigan there with my family. Uh, we milk about 260 cows. Um, started a dairy about 10 years ago. And, um, you know, I, we're doing it because we feel it's the best place to raise a family. So we're milking some cows. We're raising some beef cattle now and uh, we do a fair amount of cropping. First-generation dairy. What are some of the challenges there? So I always I always ponder that question. Am I actually a first generation? So we bought a okay. dairy. My grandpa immigrated from the Netherlands, okay. you know, because he wanted a dairy farm, and uh, but we're not on that farm anymore. So we've we've grown over the years, and um, yeah. So there's certainly challenges, you know, and, and I'm not any further set apart than anybody else, right? But we've learned a lot of lessons. You know, there's also a lot of really good things. There's opportunities to grow. 
um, you know, you don't have that that um, traditional mentality of, well, this is how we've always done it, right? So it gives us a lot of freedom on our farm. We're, we're able to uh, try a lot of new things. Um, we probably take more risk than we should uh, at times, but, you know, we know we're responsible for it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, with that additional risk that you might be taking on comes some potential rewards, and and you've got to stay a little nimble, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the dairy market is, is always yeah. changing, and, and, you know, just the ag world that we live in is always changing. So um, it's fun to come to things like this here down at NAFB and learn about what's going on in the industry as well. Yeah. Very cool, very cool. All right, so tell us about the Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative and your role there. Yeah, so uh, a couple of years ago I got involved uh, on the board, and now I'm serving as the president of the board. Gotcha, gotcha. Tell us about about the cooperative. Uh, what's the market? Sure, yeah. So uh, Edge is a uh, dairy co-op. We're based up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, we've got members over the entire Midwest from Kansas to Ohio, Minnesota, South Dakota, um, so we're a verification co-op. It's a it's a sort of a, a demand that the federal orders put on us. It's a, a law that was created back yep. in the 40s, and um, so we've we've grown as a verification co-op. It's what we do, but we've been able to bring so much value back to our membership, uh, and so now we're we're growing into all these different areas. But our, one of our big things is policy, federal policy. Yep. So it's a big focus. We've got a great team in place. We use, uh, partner with Michael Torian Associates down in Washington, D.C. They do a lot of our uh, lobbying down there. But uh, we also, um, you know, our tagline is the voice of milk. So we take farmers uh, every year as, as able uh, and take those farmers, and we'll take a plane load of farmers down to Washington, D.C. and do uh, hill visits uh, and then also with stakeholder visits when we're down there. Brody, the face-to-face -face meeting between farmer and lawmakers, decision makers, that it, you, the importance of that cannot be understated. Absolutely, Chip. You know, it's, I always tell this story to everybody, you know, especially these farmers that like to sit home and, and, and just, just farm. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a young guy. I've only been in the business for 10 years, and this is never something I thought I'd see myself doing, right. going to D.C. But I'll tell you, the first time I ever went down to Washington, D.C., I walked into... Um, Colin Peterson's office and he's sitting in his chair in the back of the room and we walk in and there was uh, two of us dairymen and then there was a couple of people from DC and a couple of our own staff members and as we walked through the door he picked us out you're a farmer you sit next to me and you're a farmer you sit next to me you guys can sit over there now I want to talk to you guys yeah. um, and that's every time we go on a hill visit that's what they want to hear and it's and I can't tell that message anymore I mean we're, we're trying to convince people get on the airplane because it really makes a difference yep it, Brody with the new Congress coming in that education uh, that needs to take place it it, uh, it almost feels like it's got to start new in some cases every two years yeah it's exhausting to think about yeah <laughs> they're not even there yet but yeah you know as we see more and more disconnect from rural and especially from agriculture um, and not just in Congress, but just general populace, people that don't know where their food is grown anymore and where it's coming from. And, you know, I heard some really discouraging news last night at dinner, um, and that is we're looking at being a net importer of food in the United States uh, in the coming years. And that's that's a really scary situation yeah. uh, to us, you know, as food producers in this country. So continuing to educate policymakers uh, will be a goal of ours far into the future. All right. Um, the climate smart farming it's been a 
lot of conversation because there's been an influ influx of cash into the in, into the effort here. Uh, Edge is part of that. Yeah. So Tell us we, about it. Yeah. So we were rewarded uh, the fifty million dollar grant, and it was pretty exciting for an organization as small as us. But you know, we've we've done a really good job of um, being able to partner with our farms and our members. So Wisconsin is a bit unique. We've got a lot of these uh, farmer-led watershed groups, and we've yeah. got really good relationships with these people already, these farmers uh, that are on the ground. You know, farmers, like I, I mentioned earlier, tend to sit home and, and farm, yeah. right? Not a lot of guys want to get out on the road and do TikTok and yada, yada, yada. They want to just farm. Um, they don't have time for it. Right. So, you know, that's where we come in as sort of a, hey, we're going to take the good things that you guys are doing, put that data together, and show people the numbers. We're going to crunch the numbers, we're going to show the science, and we're going to put that in front of policymakers, and we're going to put that in front of the consumer to show that farmers are actually stewards of the land and they're doing a really good job. Yeah, I love it. What What is the goal with the Climate Smart Project that that you're going to be managing at EDGE? Sure. So there's several projects going on, but okay. really I think... You know, the main focus is going to be starting more of these water, these farmer-led farmer groups. Yep. Um, because there's a lot of room for growth, not only in Wisconsin, but across the Midwest to get a lot more of these groups. But, and encouraging farmers to try things, right? So maybe we're able to come in and help mitigate some of that risk so that they're, they're not afraid to try these new practices, you know, cover cropping and no-tilling. And, you know, it's easy to look across the fence. But, you know, if we can come in with data and say, hey, you know what, we this is not going to affect your bottom line. We can get you to do this, and, and you can save soil and keep the soil in the field by trying these practices. Um, so we're, we're going to start the groups and try and grow those groups. Have, have you put any feelers out to the farmers, see what the level of interest might be in participating? Well, you know, we're already tied into a fair amount of these groups, okay, right? Okay. You know, we, we do a lot of the administrative work for a lot of these okay. farmer-led groups. Um, and, and the interest is growing. There's new groups that are popping online. Um, and, you know, I'm personally the president of our local watershed group. Okay. And, you know, we're, we're seeing new membership. We're seeing more cover crop acres every year. People are trying new practices slowly but surely. And, and that's why we're there is to encourage them, to show them that it works so that, you know, in the future they continue to use these practices. All right. I want to switch gears on you a little bit. Talk about another challenge that we hear from dairies all the time, and that is labor, labor management. Uh, what's your experience? What are, what are your thoughts? So it was a, you know, going back to my personal story, I guess, um, you know, when we started a dairy 10 years ago, we came from an 80-cow small family farm to, you know, milking a few more cows and having to rely on immigrant labor. Um, you know, my brother and I, between the two of us, have 10 kids, but they're not quite there yeah, yet, you know, yeah. and um, so that was a big learning curve for us is learning immigrant, how to, how to utilize immigrant labor, um, but also uh, knowing um, how to cultivate a, a culture at your farm to attract these people to your dairy. Uh, so, yeah, it's been a challenge over the years. It continues to be a challenge for a lot of dairymen in Wisconsin and throughout the Midwest, but uh we, we know that there's options out there. We know, um, you know, the options that are out there don't necessarily work for dairy, right? We yeah. can't turn the cows off in September and go home for Christmas right. and come back and fire them back up like they can down in California. Not on the cows, but on the fruit and the almonds, yeah. you know, yeah. it's a seasonal thing. So, you know, right now we've got uh, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act has been through the House down in Washington, and we're trying to get that through the Senate. We were 
hopeful. We're, we've still got some hope that, you know, in a lame duck session we can get this thing through. Um, it's not a perfect bill, but it, it does, you know, cover two of the objectives that we would really like to see, right? And that is knowing who's here and where they're here and documenting the people that are here and then also getting getting a legal way to get more people here, right, so that we can have a sustainable, reliable workforce. Yeah. What are you thinking about for 2023? Well, you know, we've laid out our farm bill priorities. Obviously, yeah. that's a big thing coming up here, um, something that we'd really like to have an influence on. And um, so we've got some priorities there. Um, we've released our priority on uh, federal order pricing, which is something yep. that everybody loves to talk about, I'm sure, when, when yeah. it comes to pricing, <laughs> oh, yeah. pricing milk. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> So. Uh, so those are some things, you know, and then we've, we've got the, um, the milk labeling, the dairy labeling product thing has, has been sort of a thorn in our side and, and we've been trying to push this and trying to move it. You know, as you know, the rules are already on the books. We just need a FDA that is willing to step up and enforce what's on the books already. And, um, something we're not going to give up on. We're going to continue to hammer that message. Excellent. Brody, thank you so much. That's Brody Stable. Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. We're going to continue the conversation with the folks here at Edge, talk a little bit more of some of those government policies coming up next right here on AgriTalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. This from the Smithsonian at si.edu. The Pilgrims, with a puritanical rejection of public religious display, held a non-religious Thanksgiving feast. Aside from saying grace, using the three days for feasting, playing games, and even drinking liquor. In 1623, the Pilgrims at Plymouth Plantation, Massachusetts, held another day of Thanksgiving. As a drought was destroying their crops, colonists prayed and fasted for relief. The rains came a few days later. Not long after, Captain Miles Standish arrived with staples and news that a Dutch supply ship was on its way. In response, colonists held a day of Thanksgiving and prayer on June 30. This 1623 festival appears to have been the origin of our Thanksgiving Day because it combined a religious and social celebration. Later, in 1789, Representative Elias Boudinot moved that a day of Thanksgiving be held to thank God for giving the American people the opportunity to create a constitution to preserve their hard-won freedoms. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. Welcome back to AgriTalk on this day after Thanksgiving. Glad that you're making some time for us today. I'm your host, Chip Flory. 
As I mentioned in the last segment, we've been bringing you some coverage from the National Association Farm Broadcasting Meeting. We started a conversation uh, in the last segment with the folks at Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. Uh, talked with Brody. Now we're bringing in Michael Wedig. She is the Asso Associate Director of Government Affairs for Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. Michael, it's good to talk with you. Thanks for having me today, Chip. All right. So, new Congress, what do you make of it? <laughs> <laughs> well, our, our footprint actually didn't change a lot here in the upper Midwest. Um, for, you know, uh, members of Congress uh, that have our members in their districts, um, they pretty much stayed the same. Yep. Um, so, you know, there is going to be a lot of education to do in the new Congress. You know, we still want to reach out outside of our footprint, but we were able to keep... Um, a lot of the same folks uh, here in our footprint. So we're happy to still have a bunch of our friends there and excited to make new friends. All right. Brody and I talked a little bit about the education effort that takes place and, and needs to take place when new members of Congress arrive. What's the plans there? Yeah, so we will be announcing our new 2023 uh, congressional priorities uh, at the beginning of the Congress. And so we'll go around and talk to everybody in our footprint and close by, all friends of dairy, um, and let them know what we're looking for in this next Congress. Obviously, the 2023 Farm Bill is coming up, so there'll be a lot of talk around that as well. Um, so we try to get our farmers in there, um, let the members of Congress know just what they deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, because beyond policy, it's also important for them to understand the actual business of running a farm. The policy, you know, is is a difficult uh, difficult question, a different, a difficult issue. But if they don't understand what's happening behind the farm, it becomes a lot more difficult, and it doesn't seem as important to those uh, members of Congress. So, really, uh, the first first and foremost, we want to make sure that they understand uh, what farming is all about. Yeah, you know, Michael, the the dairy industry, I think, plays in kind of a unique spot in the um, in the farm bill because you can play such an important role in the nutrition title, uh, can play such an important role on, on the commodity title. Uh, it's a unique position to be in, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. We have um, such a nutritious, wonderful product, right. um, and it, it deserves a place in nutrition programs uh, here in the U.S. And so um, it's a, a big part of the nutrition programs, and it's obviously a huge part of the commodity programs as well because dairy is extremely unique. You, we have a very perishable product. Um, you have to milk cows two times a day at least, every day of the year. Um, so we are in a different position um, than any other ag industry yeah. even in ag and so um you know the discussions around dairy are certainly unique very different from every other commodity and um that's why it's a little bit more difficult sometimes yeah. another area in which dairy is unique is in pricing <laughs> that federal milk marketing order uh is it going to be evolutionary is it going to be revolutionary what do you anticipate yeah, a lot of industry players have a lot of uh, different ideas here. Obviously, 2020, um, the market volatility there really uh, brought out the issues within the milk pricing um, system. And that really uh, made folks take a step back yeah. and really want to look at what is wrong within the industry. Um, and so everyone, you know, uh, like here at Edge, we started a FMMO task force for the Upper Midwest, um, and we came up with some good ideas, especially ideas that would be um, 
helpful for us here in our geography. Our geography is a little bit different than you know anywhere else. We primarily have manufactured products, cheese. Um, I th about 90% of our farmer's milk is made into cheese. Um, and so that's a lot different than the southeast and the northeast and and the west. And so um, every different every area is different. It has their own unique problems. And so um, we all have uh, some different ideas on how we want to see change done. Um, and as far as evolutionary versus revolutionary, you know, I think that really remains to be seen. Um, where and where these. Uh, issues will be addressed remains to be seen. There's the Farm Bill and there's also federal order hearings. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of different directions where this could go, but the industry is really starting to talk um, and trying to come together to uh, come to a consensus um, and uh, decide on a way forward. And so folks are starting to um, come together with their ideas and try to come, you know, get yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Coming in with one united voice on this is going to be really important going forward. Uh, you know, the joke is <laughs> there's like four people that understand how the price of milk is set. We don't want to lose any of them. And we've lost some of that experience from the from the House and the House Ag Committee. It's going to be difficult to replace that going forward. It is going to be difficult to replace that. Um, you know, we have lost a lot of good members in the past uh, few years um, and retirements and things like that. And dairy is, you know, is something people don't necessarily want to learn that much about uh, because it is so difficult. And so it's um, it's important for us to find uh, our real uh, champions and heroes in uh, Congress yeah. um, because once you do know the issue, you, you know, you're the go-to. So. Yep. You know, one of the positives that you've got is G.T. Thompson is one of your champions. Absolutely, yes. We are very lucky to have him in the uh, chairman's seat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, policy, dairy policy, it's being tweaked as we go forward because of the environmental pressures that are being put on everybody in agriculture. How does that play into the farm bill? Yeah, that's going to be a huge uh, concern for us. Yeah. Um, conservation is going to be a, a key um, in this upcoming Farm Bill, um, not only around funding, um, but uh, just what that looks like. Um, uh, we want to make sure, uh, from the edge point of view, that everything remains voluntary. Um, yeah. We actually just got a Climate Smart grant through the Climate Smart Commodities yeah. Program. And we got $50 million to work with our farmer-led watershed groups um, to expand those climate-smart commodities and expand those opportunities for our members. Um, and what we really want to showcase in, in those projects is that farmers can do this without government regulation. They can, um, they can make it work um, on a voluntary basis. Um, they can all get together, work together, and make it work in their different geographies in a way that works for their operation. Uh, Flexibility is going to be key here because one size fits all is not going to work for Climate right. Smart. And so I think that that's what USDA has shown with these pilot programs is that they know that there isn't a one size fits all and they know that um, everyone's going to have to be innovative. And so um, we were happy to see USDA take that approach um, and continue to keep everything voluntary. And that's what we're going to want to see as well in the next Farm yeah. Bill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The um the climate initiatives to this point, the and, and the funding is coming from the Commodity Credit Corporation. Uh, someone that you used to work with in D.C., Mike Conaway, the old chairman of the House Aid Committee, uh, wasn't real impressed, to say the least, in 
the source of the funding for some of these initiatives. Now, there's going to be a battle for funding in the Farm Bill. Some argue that those climate smart initiatives should be pulled into the Farm Bill, into the, into the conservation title, or maybe a new title altogether in, in the Farm Bill. What are your thoughts there? You know, we just want to make sure to, uh, that the program continues to be funded, um, whether it is you know through the Farm Bill or just through the CCC. Um, funding is just going to be a huge issue yeah. in this Farm Bill. Um, climate, uh, or excuse me, conservation did get a huge plus up in uh, one of the recent um, uh, bills uh, put through by Congress, and so. Um, there is that kind of money that they can possibly play with. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of people are going to fight to keep it within conservation, and a lot of people are going to fight to take it out of conservation yeah. uh, to pay for, you know, updated reference prices and things like that. Yeah. And so um, whether they pull that those Climate Smart funds in, I don't know um, that, you know, in terms of funding, if that is something that anyone's really going to have an appetite to do because they're, you know, they're going to want to put the money towards whatever, you know, priority they have. So, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily see that happening, um, but uh, we do want to make sure that that continues to be funded, um, hopefully just through USDA, but we will see what the, what those, yeah. how those conversations go. Yeah. You know, when we talk about the Farm Bill again and the funding issues, there's a lot of conversation around from the row crop guys all right don't mess with my crop insurance that's all i'm really asking don't mess with my crop insurance is that an is that enough to ask for because shouldn't the industry as a whole be trying to push the program and the policies forward and if you're doing that you're asking for more money right yeah i mean i i think you know there's a lot of farmers out there that just just want, you know, want their crop insurance and want, you know, yeah. the government to stay away, you know, basically just don't mess with my programs. And, and that is understandable. Um, I, uh, I always remember when I worked for a senator, he said, people used to just come to me and say, just don't mess it up. Just don't do anything. Don't yeah. mess it up. And, you know, I think that's what you're kind of saying with um, those uh, row crop guys, you know, yeah. just, just don't mess it up, you know, right. and that's kind of, you know, but there are some you know, tweaks that should be made in all the different programs. And I think, you know, as far as crop insurance, I don't know if there's going to be a huge fight there at all, but um, I think conservation is where a lot of that, uh, those, a lot of different industries are going to be uh, looking for funding and a lot of, um, especially on the Democrat side of things, they're going to be trying to push um, climate funding and conservation funding, you know, whether it turns into a climate title or stays conservation title, um, that's to be determined. But I think that'll, I think conservation is kind of where that is going to be. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Edge is in a unique position going into this farm bill because, as I mentioned before, I mean, you can bridge that gap between production agriculture and the nutrition. In other words, bridge the gap between the urban lawmaker and the rural lawmaker, and uh, it's going to be an important role for the dairy industry to play. So, Mike Sell, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, that's Michael Wedig, uh, Associate Director of Government Affairs there at uh, Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. All right, stay tuned. We're going to wrap up today's AgriTalk here in just a moment. AgriTalk is brought to you by the Conservation at Work video series, Farmer to Farmer, the Conservation at Work video series features real stories, real successes, 
real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov conservation. Welcome back to AgriTalk. It is time to wrap up our coverage from the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention. I had a chance to talk with representatives of the biggest companies. And I mean, these are the companies that you deal with every day. And this upcoming conversation is one that I'll admit it took me by surprise. You know, I am willing and usually very ready to tell the story of how agriculture is a leading technology industry. But this final conversation from from Kansas City, it even got me fired up and excited about how technology is making a real difference for farmers and for the animals they care for. Paul Kaufman is the Livestock Intelligence Lead for North America at Merck Animal Health. He joins us right now. Paul, welcome to AgriTalk. Thank you very much, Chip. It's good uh, to see you. All right. So, pharmaceutical company investing in digital technology. Why? Great question, and one we get probably every day. <laughs> you know, if you think about the evolution of animal health over the last several years, we've gone from a period of see a sick animal, treat a sick animal, but as technology's evolved, we found ways that we can actually apply that technology to identify them getting sick earlier. We can intervene earlier and have a better health outcome. So we see it all as part of animal health, frankly. It's just a different approach to that same outcome, which is that healthy and productive animal. Okay, so the information that's coming in, it, identifying that that the early stages of some sort of a problem with the animal, that has got to be one of the biggest advancements in animal health that we've ever experienced, isn't it? I mean, if you can identify an animal that's about to get sick, that's really important. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing time, right, yeah. for the industry and for everything. So if you think about it, look at it this way. So we're taking activity that that animal's doing, that animal has a normal pattern. So yep. let's take a feedlot steer. That animal doing normal things, what our technology does is it tracks its normal, and then when it's not normal, it identifies and says, you need to look more closely. Not only does it do that, it does that, and we capture those animals, our trial work would say, two to four days earlier than a human finds them. Yep. On top of that, with our technology, we make it easier from a labor standpoint where we can sit here and say, it's on the pull list. And by the way, we've identified that animal so the feed yard, the feed yard so the, the pen rider knows which pen animal to pull. Can find that. They can find that and pull that animal and out and have them right there. Yeah, what he just showed us is a blinking green light that's on that animal. If if a rider, a pen rider sees that, they're going to go get him. They're going to pull him in. And then we'll you know, take that in with our biopharmaceutical approach and make sure we've got those right outcomes for healthier animals and ultimately better production and better profitability. Yeah, you know, Paul, I'm so glad that you went to the feed yard animal because everybody wants to talk about how this technology is being used in the dairy. It, the dairy is low-hanging fruit. The feed yard is this place where it really proves itself. It, it does. And, and to be fair, Chip, we've been doing the dairy thing sure, for about 10 years, right? So yeah. we've got over a million cows. We monitor 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But those learnings have helped us get into that feed yard space. So you think about what we've dealt with with BRD for the last 40, 50, 60 years, maybe more. Yeah. Being able to identify those animals as an outlier earlier, being able to utilize our labor more effectively and more efficiently. How big of a labor challenge do we have out there right now? So all of those pieces just contribute to this better outcome and why we as an animal health company see this as a key part of the future of animal health. It's, it's And the bottom line is if you 
treat it early, not just that one animal becomes more efficient in the pen, the whole pen becomes more efficient for you, your whole operation is more efficient for you, and that's what we're shooting for as producers. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's about efficiently and effectively producing those pounds of whatever it is we're raising. We're talking about beef today. We can say milk. We can say pork in the future. But doing that more effectively and efficiently and ultimately producing that food that we all need for this country and this world. Yeah. Okay, that's where we're at now. Where are we going next? Yeah, it's a great question. So we as Merck have made a couple of acquisitions very recently. So we bought a new technology called Vents that, that some of your listeners may have seen. So this is this is pretty interesting. This is a animal movement platform that allows us to draw virtual fences in a bigger pasture. So think about rotational grazing. So instead of stringing hot wires and fence posts, we're setting virtual fences there so we can do more with rotational grazing. We can keep those animals out of environmentally sensitive areas. Think about BLM land potentially where there's areas we can go and can't go. So we bought that two months ago. Uh, it's a new piece of it, but it allows us now as we move from dairy to feedlot, now we start thinking about cow-calf and we start thinking about that entire beef ecosystem. So that's the future, right? As we look at these plays and, and again, bringing it together as a holistic approach to health. You know, that rate, the, the being able to get into the cow-calf side, you can work at it as hard as you absolutely can as a herd manager. And some of those cows you're not going to see for a week. If you can keep digital eyes on them, it just is an incredible advancement. We think it's a game changer. Yeah. We, we absolutely do. And again, it comes back to it's still the basics of creating that healthy animal. And for Merck, the science of healthier animals, keeping that all engaged as well. So yeah. we're just excited to play a part in all of it. You know, we talk about technology and all of agriculture. I'm sorry. The, the stuff that excites me the most is stuff like this where we're talking about animal health and maintaining that, that animal health. It's great in precision ag. It's great in everything. But when it comes to animal health, it's ultimately important. It, it is. And, and again, you know, when we look at it, we think of a few things. We think of labor. It's not getting any easier to find people and people with experience. Right. We're not replacing them. We're augmenting them is what we're doing, Chip. We're giving that information, allowing them more time, whether that's quality of life for that dairy farmer or whether that's having them do more high-value activities on the farm. It's earlier detection for better health. It's ultimately better performance, and it's ultimately better profitability. All right. Thank you, Paul. That is the kind of story, the kind of message that is important for all of agriculture to tell. Taking what's learned from one segment of an industry and applying it to another is how progress is made. It's how improvements are passed from one segment to another. And with all of the challenges being levied on animal agriculture, technology like Paul from Merck was talking about and how it can be applied across a variety of applications makes it easy to tell the story of how producers provide the best care possible for the animals that they are responsible for. Thanks for listening today. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And if your celebration extends into the weekend, be safe with your travels. Maybe pack some extra Rolades. Come back Monday morning. We'll get an update from Machinery Pete and have a conversation with NCBA.